Hello, hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to the Black Sheep Playground podcast for this week, which I'm recording on December 1st, and it feels very appropriate that uh, what we will be talking about today in the next few episodes is stress, because this time of year for many humans on this planet is among the most stressful for lots of different reasons, not limited to uh, lots of family and or loved one interactions that can sometimes be super challenging, um, or even the opposite of that, feeling alone, lonely, etc., because you don't have the relationships you want in your life. This time of year, for many of us, really triggers a whole range of feelings. Then you add in things like logistics around holidays and planning, which for anyone who has executive function issues is just a mess. Um, or at least it can be a mess. It doesn't have to be, which is um, what we're going to be talking about over the next few episodes. And um, you might have heard discussions of stress in other places. Um, so I want to give you a slightly different lens of looking at stress as not entirely a bad thing and something that can be absolutely useful to take advantage of. But we also want to look at stress and the tools we have to uh, deal with it from the lens of having a neurodivergent brain. Because you hear all these mechanisms, tools, techniques, meditation, yoga, etc. You know, just do yoga <laughs> and suddenly all your stress will disappear. And the reality is when you have a neurodivergent brain, you often need different tools or you need to adapt the tools that exist. And I want to want to make sure you understand the underlying mechanisms happening so that you can adapt the tools in ways that actually suit your brain and body. Because by understanding what's actually going on, you'll be able to uh, take some of the stuff that um, I'm recommending and adapt it for yourself. That's, this is the theme of <laughs> a lot of what we do here is, is first we learn what's actually happening, and then we learn how to deal with it, how to manage it, how to engage with it, how to look at it. So um, this episode, we're going to focus primarily on sort of what's happening with stress and also how to recognize when stress is happening in your mind. Because I think one of the things I see most commonly with a lot of people I work with is um, internally focused stress. So that very like active ruminating mind where things are spinning over and over again. This is, you know, very indicative of anxiety as well. Um, where you can't let go of something and it just like literally often will keep you awake at night. Um, for me, I remember, <laughs> I remember uh, in high school just being absolutely paralyzed by homework that I knew I hadn't done and that, you know, at some point, the teacher would be giving back to us, and at that point, they would realize that I had not actually <laughs> given them the homework and that I would have to deal with it, and I'd be sitting there, like, lying in bed, thinking of all the ways that I could potentially get out of the situation. Could I, like, sneak in and insert my paper in a, in a stack? What excuse would I have for it not being turned in? Would I be pretending that I didn't know that it wasn't turned in and just be like, oh, here it is? This was a very significant source of anxiety for me. And and we'll talk a little bit about, about what is really happening there and how you can intervene. But 
before we do that, I want to dive in to what stress actually is so that you know what's happening in your body and in your brain when you're feeling stressed. So you probably have negative associations with the word stress. Like you hear stress and at least if you've existed in society recently, you probably have associations with, you know, it's going to kill me, it's bad, it's awful. But stress is actually a fundamental part of our bodies. And if we didn't um, have a stress response, if we didn't have a physiological stress system, we would be in a lot of trouble because we wouldn't be able to meet the demands of our life. Because what stress is, is our body's response to a demand that exceeds the current state of our nervous system. So it's a way of mobilizing resources. To illustrate, let's use a seasonal metaphor. So retailers, particularly when um, we did a lot more in-person shopping, though I think this is still the case, would hire extra people around the holidays because they knew more humans would be coming in and shopping. So they would need to figure out um, how many more people they would need each shift. They would need to figure out how much more merchandise they would have to have in the store because they're selling more merchandise, which means they have to place more orders. They have to then have more people in the store to unpack things. They have to have um, space available for this stuff to go. So essentially, ahead of the holiday season, if a retailer is smart and, and planning, will actually mobilize resources to deal with the increased demand of holiday shoppers. That's essentially what your stress response does. It mobilizes uh, the systems in your body that allows it to, de um, to deal with a perceived demand or a perceived threat or a perceived challenge. What it also does is it either turns off or reduces access to luxury functions, things that are not necessary for dealing with um, a threat or a challenge. And to use the same metaphor, that would be like, um, for example, not doing an inventory while in the holiday season. So inventories often require stores to close and they'll, they'll have staff stay overnight, you know, different stores do different things, but it's literally like counting what's there and, and then seeing how, what the difference is between what's actually there and what's supposed to be there. It's a luxury. It's not something you have to do to sell, to make money. It's a luxury. That would be something you would not want to do during a holiday rush. Or maybe the employees need to come up to speed on the latest sexual harassment laws. Really important, and one could even argue, probably something that should be at top of the line critical, but during the holiday season, it isn't technically necessary unless there's a due date. So you imagine most stores would be like, eh, you do it after, what, December 26th, at least in the United States, but um, in other places might be a different date. Essentially, you do it in January. The human body also turns off or lowers the function of certain things such as digestion, just for example, um, when, when the stress response is activated. And if you have heard of the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system, these are the main systems that control our stress response. The, the sympathetic is the one that uh, I was just describing, the one that 
increases and mobilizes things in response to a demand. And then the parasympathetic lowers um, the, the stress in your body, calms it down, demobilizes the, the systems that uh, were engaged um, to meet a demand. So in other words, it, it fires the temporary workers and, you know, <laughs> doesn't reorder new inventory. That's the other piece of this. Our stress system goes up, but it's also supposed to come back down. And many of the maladaptive pieces, the things that really hurt our health long-term, are actually when that up and down is not in balance. So you're spending way more time up than you are down. Um, it's actually also possible to spend more time down than up, but certainly the we have a lot more research on the former where, you know, it's lots of stress and very little of the parasympathetic nervous system being engaged. So this is never about eliminating stress. Stress itself is not a bad thing. It's when these homeostatic processes are out of whack. There is no homeostasis. We are not going both up and down. We're going mostly up and then maybe occasionally coming down a little bit. So when you, whenever you hear people you know, talk about eliminating stress, that's not something you want to do because you want to be stressed sometimes. When you're giving a big speech in front of a crowd, the stress response is what produces the adrenaline that allows you to go on. Or if you're trying to hike up a hill, you are having a stress response then, and your body is producing all of these chemicals and electro, well, electrochemical responses that are giving you extra resources to climb that hill. So you want to have a stress response. You just want to have a stress response that is resilient, and you want to have a stress response that's actually responsive. So you don't want to always be at 10. Because if you're always at 10, if something even more stressful happening, happens, you have nowhere to go. Before we dive into any management stuff, there's one additional difference that I want to make very clear. There's a difference between stress and a stressor. The stressor is the cause of the stress. The stress is the actual response in your body. So you can have a stressor that is either external or internal. In CBT or the model language, which is the life coach certification program uh, I went through, uh, an external stressor would be something that you can't control or have very little control over. So um, one could be being outside when it's really hot. That actually um, stresses your body. And you don't have a lot of control over the temperature of the air, except for all of that pesky climate change that we cause separate conversation. But that's, that's something that will stress your body because uh, essentially you need to mobilize resources to deal with the extra heat because your body needs to be kept at a certain temperature internal stressors are psychological. Things like fear that you will die alone or uh, worry over an impending deadline. These are sources of stress. And because 
there is some mismatch between the emotional state you're in and the state your body is in, it causes stress to your body and that get, mobilizes these resources. So um, it might not be as much adrenaline as if you were being chased by a bear because your, your body is managing resources and knows that, that um, certain threats are bigger than others, but it still perceives it as a threat, a demand, a challenge. So when you are thinking thoughts and experiencing emotions that tell your body that it needs to mobilize more resources, you are going to have a stress response. And one of the cool things about um, our stress system is that it is general. That means it's really powerful. It's able to mobilize things across your body, including muscles, and it can turn off digestion, and it releases these chemicals. It's doing a lot of things, and part of the reason it, it does that is because it is not specific to specific types of stress. So the stress response you experience it, as a result of um, going outside when it's really hot is roughly the same stress response as if you are sitting there and worrying about a deadline. The same systems are mobilized. You will be using your sympathetic nervous system. It will be engaging resources. And um, if you don't tell, it, tell your nervous system everything's okay, it's going to stay there because it's going to continue thinking the threat is real, that it needs to have the resources available. So how does your parasympathetic nervous system, the part that tells you to calm the F down, how does it know that it can demobilize the resources? How does it know that it's January 1st and we don't need to order as much inventory this month and we don't need as much staff? Your autonomic nervous system needs a signal that everything's okay, that everything's back to normal levels of demand. This primarily happens through what is known as the HPA axis, that is the hypothalamus, pituitary gland, and adrenal glands. <laughs> Don't need to remember that, but for the nerds in the audience, now you know. That's the thing that essentially tells your autonomic nervous system whether or not to put its foot on the gas or take its foot off the gas. Um, and you, it sort of acts as the command center for your stress response. And the thing that typically initiates all of this is actually your amygdala. So I, it wasn't entirely accurate to describe, you know, your stress responses as primarily your autonomic nervous system. But as we know with the human body, things are always more complicated than just one thing. So... You don't need to remember all of this. This is more for your edification. The thing you do want to remember to take away from all of this is that a stress response has an up and a down and an up and a down. It's like a seesaw. You can't have both. So if you go up, you want to be able to come down again. For those of you who might have noticed an audio change, um, my microphone died and the troubleshooting was not easy. And because I'm me, if I don't finish recording this episode, I won't. So I'm just using the mic on my laptop for now. So apologies if that you noticed that you are not crazy. <laughs> that is in fact happening. So just an FYI. Now, if you have a nervous system that works 
a bit differently than on average. Namely, if you are neurodivergent in some way, shape, or form, your nervous system is going to be wired a little bit differently. Okay, so there are a lot of brilliant people who have talked about stress and stress responses and all the things you can do. Um, so why am I rehashing it? I'm rehashing it because I want to add the neurodivergent lens on top of this because you'll notice what we're talking about today is our nervous system. It is everything in um, the stress response is in our nervous system. It's sensing stuff about the outside world and doing, doing things in your body based on the information you receive. It's your nervous system. So if you have changes in your nervous system, gasp, <laughs> you might have changes in your stress response and vice versa. Additionally, if you're neurodivergent, the world is often not super friendly to you, which is something we discuss here. So you actually might have more sources of chronic stress. You live in a world that was sort of built by and built for a different type of nervous system. <laughs> that teenage version of myself really wanted to do her homework. You know, she had a lot of great ideas. She was actually an excellent writer. She really wanted to go to a top college. She knew that doing her homework would make her life a lot better, but that doesn't mean <laughs> it was easy for her to do it because it turns out she had undiagnosed ADHD. and. Homework, particularly when you don't have a parental figure around sort of telling you what to do and how to do it, uh, is a real challenge. So that's, that's an example of an increased amount of stress because the external world wanted me to do homework, homework that was very challenging for my, my type of brain, and no one had sort of helped me break things down. So I experienced significant stress, both through a stress response and through um, a physiological uh, form of stress, which is sleep deprivation. So I would lose sleep, which also is a form of stress. Sensory overload, yeah, sensory overload, which is common with a number of neurodivergent labels, um, is essentially a stress response. Your your nervous system is overwhelmed by signals, which is a demand. So unsurprisingly, your body's going to experience stress when it's experiencing sensory overload. And many of the things that, that um, people do in response, whether it's stimming or uh, meltdowns, tantrums, things that we all have these very negative association with, are actually ways that um, the person is trying to uh, either eliminate the stressor or calm themselves down. In other words, they're trying to engage your parasympathetic nervous system. So if you're neurodivergent, my goal is for you to understand what your particular flavor of nervous system needs in terms of stress management and stress response. I'm going to use a metaphor from cooking here. Um, a stressor is like the flame on a stove. And then your nervous system is kind of like the pan. And depending on what your pan is made out of, how thick it is, how conductive it is, what particular metal you're using, is it alloyed with something, it's going to conduct the heat differently. It's going to spread the heat around in different ways. There might be hot spots. There might not be not hot spots. And part of being a good cook is knowing how your pan is going to cook things. And that's 
what I want to give you. I want to help you understand how your pan is different from anyone else's pan so that you can adapt the various mechanisms and tools to work for you. Next episode, we're going to focus on stressors, the things that cause stress, whether they are psychological or physiological, and how you might have some control or manage them. Um, and for the ones you can't control, or for the stress that is part of being human, two episodes from now, that's what we're going to focus on. We're going to focus on, okay, if I am stressed, what can I do to balance my body back into a calmer state, sort of, you know, engage the parasympathetic nervous system and chill the F out. Um, I wonder if singing, no, singing might actually be one of the ways to <laughs> engage the parasympathetic. Creative things certainly are. Um, I don't think I've done it much on the podcast thus far, but something I absolutely do throughout my day is sing random sentences. Don't know why I do it, probably because it's fun. But anyway, <laughs> um, that's where we're going. And if there's anything specific you want me to address in terms of tools, or, or if you have found yourself struggling in particular situations, please reach out to me um, on social media or email, and I'll try to make sure to cover it in these episodes, because I haven't recorded them yet, and I'm probably not going to record them at least for a little while. So um, even if you're listening to this episode much later, please reach out um, if there's anything you want me to make sure I cover because um, that is something I take into account. Anywho, I hope you have a lovely start to your December and I will talk to you soon.